Hi again, welcome back to the podcast. It's China Manufacturing Decoded here from Sophist. Adrian on hosting duty today and Renault's with me. Hi, Renault. Hey, you're full of energy today. What's going on? Well, I, I try my best. I try my best. I try my best. Uh, so you, you've been to the um, Hong Kong Electronics Trade Fair just gone. We're, we're recording this on uh, April the 13th. So you've just been in the trade fair, right? Yeah, I started yesterday in Hong Kong. I went to the one in Wan Chai, um, organized by the Trade Development Council. And mm. there's another one by Global Sources in Asia World Expo that's just next to Hong Kong Airport, yeah. which features also electronic products, but also components. It's an interesting one. But I went to that one, Global Sources one, last um and in October, they were just restarting the trade shows. It was quite yeah. tiny still. Uh, I guess it's much bigger now already. Uh, and uh, yeah, this one, th- this time I went to have a look in Wan Chai, the, 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 the good old TDC um, mm. trade shows. Yeah. Is there a lot of foreign attendees yeah. around? Yeah. I mean, a number of them are, you know, they look foreign but they're from hong kong so you're not really sure right but right. um or from shenzhen or someplace right uh but yeah yeah no i i it's not to the level of 2018 2019 also in terms of exhibitors i think it's it's not as big but it's um you know it's decent size already in three uh three levels it was a bit smaller than i thought uh or mm. you know that i was used to but Hey, takes time. You know, things will, uh, mm-hmm. will grow back. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Any key observations to share? It was all Chinese, and uh, you know, some Hong Kongese, and you could count the companies from outside of China and Hong Kong, <laughs> maybe on the fingers of a of a hand. Uh, I'm exaggerating, wow. but that's really the feeling it was giving us, right? Uh, apart from that, yeah, nothing, nothing really mm. special. It's the the usual okay. hot categories. Actually, you you go to Huachang Bay in Shenzhen and you see some of the exact same products. <laughs> yeah, and then you you say you walk around and say, oh yeah, okay, they do this and this together like this. Oh, okay, it's kind of mm. kind of fun. First time I see it, and then you walk. Five minutes later, you see the same thing in another booth, and you walk. Ten minutes later, you see it another. Another booth with the exact same thing, you know. So mm. when something appears and seems to be interesting, you know, the buyers will take a sample or take some photos, show it to some others who will copy it. Or it's not even the suppliers themselves copying themselves, you know. Of course it is, but it's also the buyers uh, taking a sample from one supplier, sending it to another one, and then they will copy it and so on. Right? So it's, it's the, the buyers have a big role in this also. Um, yeah, yeah. You go to the Canton Fair in a couple of days, and it's going to be you know, uh, on the electronics part of it. You know, a lot of the same stuff, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I think we we all know how it is when you go to the electronics markets in China, and you just mm. see a million different <laughs> like e-scooters, and they're all the kind of the same thing. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, but no, it's funny. Mm-hmm. I don't really get those in the West, so it's kind of a very uh, it's very Chinese sort of thing to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some, but yeah, there's some categories. It's like maybe ten product categories that account for you know, sixty-five, seventy yeah. percent, maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. The, of 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 the exhibitors. So. Okay. Well, yeah. it, either way, though, 
trade fairs in Asia. It is happening, well, especially in, in Hong Kong and China. They are happening. And as we've mentioned before now, access to Hong Kong and China is a lot easier than it was when we had uh, zero COVID. So there you oh, go. Yes. Uh, it's definitely definitely possible to go. Uh, you've, you've spent the odd week or few in a hotel room because of zero COVID. So you definitely know what I mean. Right. Oh, yes. Yeah. That's uh, that's long gone. You can feel it. Yeah. Uh, Hong Kong kind of, you know, uh, was slipping into mm. oblivion or maybe just, uh, uh, what's the exact word, uh, irrelevance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, getting a bit more activity. So it's good to see. Good to see that. Excellent. All right. So let's crack on with today's topic, episode 159, by the way. And today we are talking about some of the top mistakes committed by new buyers. So if you're new to buying from Asia, uh, and I suppose especially with a focus on China and India and and, uh, and others like that, there are some mistakes that we see people commit time and time Mm. again. They're quite Mm. damaging mistakes and they're definitely worth avoiding. So you're just going to go through kind of a list of these mistakes uh, that that are worth avoiding, basically, Renaud, right? Right, all right. So it's funny because we found this article from 2011 that I wrote. Yeah, I know. In 2011, wow, July 2011. And it's like, yeah, you know, this is still the kind of issues that new buyers run into. I mean, not much to change. So let's go through this list. It's uh, it's interesting. And mm-hmm. the, the first one is looking for the lowest price. <laughs> because mm. you go on... Alibaba or global sources or made in China, or whatever, or you go to a trade show and you um and you say, Well, I'm good looking for that kind of, I don't know, Bluetooth speakers or um, you know, that kind of whatever, this t-shirt with that kind of um design that I show them or, the, or whatever. And you you can compare easily, you know, the quotes from five, ten, twenty different suppliers in these kinds of product categories. Uh, you know, for the, uh, well, pretty much the same product. And then when you have no clue, because you're a new buyer, right? You you, you have no clue. Well, who, who are you going to go with? Uh, well, very often it's tempting to go with the lowest price supplier. And I, I've seen some people, you know, think, ah, oh, like I'm so smart, you know, all of these guys are trading companies or, they're trying to overcharge me. Oh, this, like, I found a factory. I mean, it's the factory, right? Because it's the cheapest one. And then, yeah. uh, like, it's a honest factory because they, they're not trying to overcharge me. And like, dude, this is really, really dangerous. Really mm. dangerous, okay? Because let, let, let's say you, you go with, you, you have quotes from 20 different suppliers. And let's say you have maybe a dozen of them roughly within five or 10% of each other. And then you have, you know, a few above or way above, and then a few below or even way below. Well, the ones that are below, way below, uh, these ones are high risk. And, okay, if if really getting the lowest, lowest price and, and so on, right, is really important for you, you're in, I don't know, in promotional items, you know, giveaway stuff that just has to be cheap, doesn't matter if quality is bad, 
doesn't matter, you know, as long as they make it cheap and 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 they deliver it on time and like everybody's happy. Mm. Uh, maybe you go with these kinds of suppliers, but you know that it's high risk. In other cases, mm. I, I would say you just you say, okay, these are outliers. I completely erase them from the list. I don't want to talk to them. Okay, because there's three cases. Number one, they don't really know what they're doing. They don't care. They hack together some kind of quote, but they don't really know. Okay, no good. <laughs> Not a good sign. Number two, they're very aggressive because they know that they're more likely to get business. And then once they start to work on sampling and everything, they can find some excuses to say, oh, well, actually, you had not told me about that. Actually, it makes things much more complicated. So the price is higher, you know, 25% higher. And then suddenly they, they're back in, in, in the black. Whereas before with the price that they, they, they gave, there was no way they were they, they, they could make a profit. They, they would be losing money. Uh, so that's no good because they raised the price. Anyway. And number three is even worse. <laughs> because they're actually planning to chip in the product, you know, behind your back, uh, you know, mess up with your, your requirements and just deliver mm-hmm. something substandard. And they're not going to tell you, they're just going to, you know, reduce their cost because you push them to reduce their price, right? And in the minds of a lot of Chinese suppliers, this is actually quite reasonable. and. I've read a few times that if you actually sue them, you know, their defense would basically be, okay, well, usually the price for this kind of product is, you know, $8.50. And I, you know, they push me for the lowest price and I I, I charge them $6. So they knew, I mean, it's pretty obvious the quality is not going to be great. And you know what? In, In a Chinese court, this is actually not a bad defense uh, because fairness, you know, what the judge thinks is fair plays a huge role. And in China, doing things in a fair way, you know, trumps a lot of other considerations. Even even if, you know, you give them a, a standard, it was written, it was documented, okay, it's stronger, but still, if the judge says, well, it was not really fair to expect, you know, Top quality for the lowest price, you know, it doesn't really happen, right? So it happens in places like China where you always have a certain portion of the suppliers that want to be aggressive, are not afraid of risk, are not afraid of getting into a difficult conversation, are not afraid for their reputation, you know, engaging these kinds of, of schemes, unfortunately. Okay, it's it's, it's not that common let's say in um mm. in, in in india or, or in vietnam or in places where they tend to be a bit more conservative and less aggressive right mm. so yeah the lowest price <laughs> that's it's a very common trap okay well, it makes sense though because we're not we're not buying you know a bag of apples from the market here if you're mm. pushing for the lowest price just from just from a quality perspective i mean you're not going to be guaranteeing yourself the best possible quality are you yeah right yeah, it kind of makes sense. But some people just think, especially buyers who have no understanding of what's going on, you know, behind the price and behind the, the faces that they see, right? They look at the price and say, well, these guys are trying to 
overcharge me and these ones are you know are trying harder you know they, they, they okay this is it's better if i work with these guys they're not trying to uh to grab a lot of value out of, out of me right mm. because they just don't understand and um it's kind of sad but there's a lot of people like this out there <laughs> well, that's the that's the learning experience and that's that's what this podcast is about right so yes. okay yeah. so that's 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 um you know sort of being on a quest to get the lowest price all the time all the time yeah another one a big one is to agree on crazy payment terms Mm. and there's a lot of people who do that they meet a supplier and they're like wow you know these people are so nice and they they um and they also want to be kind of nice okay (laughs) right and the supplier says, well, we need to, oh, this is not so easy, but okay, we'll try our best, try our best. They're like, how can I motivate them? And the supplier says, oh, okay, you know, it's going to be $50,000 or whatever. And then the buyer's like, okay, like, if you make it like that, like, I'll pay you everything up front so you don't have any problem with cash or whatever, right? This is crazy. Or sometimes the buyers, because they feel, they're very good at feeling who is a new buyer versus an experienced buyer. <laughs> They would just write, you know, 100% prepayment. Ouch. And mm. the buyer is like, oh, well, you know, this is kind of the price, you know. And, and sometimes it's, <laughs> it gives more confidence to the buyer. They're like, well, you know, um, this supplier, they, you know, they have a lot of business. Um, and it's reassuring, you know, they, they, are, they have a high confidence. <laughs> it means they have a lot of other happy customers, you know. Uh, I need to um, I need to follow their rules to to get an entry, right? <laughs> mm. Again, completely crazy. Very, very dangerous. Very dangerous. You put the money down now. What's the incentive? What is the incentive for the supplier? You know, you pay me hundred percent. I haven't started to do anything yet. Now I have some other customers at the same time. They're pushing me to deliver fast. They're pushing me for this. Pushing me for that. I only got like 20 or 30% down and then I need to, I need to ship fast. The, the earlier I ship, the earlier I get the, the remaining 70 or 80%. Well, of course, these guys are going to, are going to be first. And then there's this other customer. Well, they, they have a contract with penalty for, for late shipment. Hmm. Uh, of course, it's going to be first, right? And, and then, and then, and then, and how about you? You paid hundred percent if the if supplier is busy, you're never gonna get your products because there's gonna always gonna be another another one who is more um, you know more urgent somehow, right? And then if you get your order, well, are they gonna be very careful? Not really, <laughs> right? And that leads me to another mistake because these two usually come together is to just trust the supplier, even the first time, not do any inspections. Okay, not send an inspector to the factory or yourself go to the factory and check on production. Well, if you paid everything up front, even if you find problems, again, what's the incentive? They're not going to care. They're going to say, well, you know, we think it's okay or something like that. Well, we think you can sell it on your market or you you never told us that your market was so picky, you know, and they're just going to sitting there and like, you know, Basically, you take your products or you leave it, you know, take it or leave it, you know, that, that's it. You're not going to do much. Sorry, right? And you have zero leverage. 
you have zero leverage to, to push them to go fast and you have zero leverage to push them to, um, to do a good job quality-wise, right? So th this is a, a horrible combination, right? And, and it leads me to, to another mistake then, yeah, that, that's, mm. let's say number three. And as, I, as I mentioned, is you, you don't try to check production quality. <laughs> and then you receive the products and then you hope for the best. And maybe you've already maybe sold it to some of your customers, promised them to deliver it by a certain date. And now you're rushing to, to sort out, you know, these 30% of bad products out of the, the rest of the good products. Or maybe everything is bad for one reason or another. And what are you going to do now, right? You've already paid everything. It You've paid also with your time. You've been waiting and you... You, you've paid for, for shipment and maybe import duties, maybe tariffs. Okay, and now you have this batch of products. And in some cases, you might have to just dump it. I mean, this is an enormous cost to the environment also to get all these materials and process them and ship them across the world, you know, halfway across the world. And then you just send them to landfill. It's just crazy, right? I mean, it just, just happens um, way too often. And so I always tell buyers, at least you, you start to work on, with a new supplier. The first three or four productions, you, you get to follow them, you know, including inspecting quality in the factory. Now, after three or four, you've done a good job and, you know, you can see that they're not trying to play games and everything. Okay, you can start to relax a bit. A good, you know, if everything's been like really stellar, really good, okay, you, you go random. You go one in three, telling them at the last minute or something like that, right? Yeah. To keep a little bit of pressure. And the very first one, you spend extra, uh, you know, extra resources on it to give them some feedback very early on also because it's maybe it's a new product for them or maybe your standard is new to them or whatever. It's good to give them some feedback as soon as they start production. Okay. So more effort on the first one. And if it's okay, go to the second one, third one, fourth, fourth one. If everything is really good, then you go random. That's what I would say. And, and then if you have, okay, an existing uh, supplier, you are sure that it's the same factory. Okay, great. And then it's a new product. <laughs> but the new product, you know, the, the clock starts, starts from scratch again. You, there's new risks with new products. So you need to, again, go back to checking all of the all of the batches and then the first time paying more attention and so on and so forth, right? Mm. Okay, talking about quality, new buyers very often get some kind of prototype or sample and the supplier says, okay, this is the final final sample. If it's okay, we're going to production. And the buyers interprets that as we can definitely get production exactly like this on 100% of the pieces. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The buyer, again, people who don't really understand how things are, are, are running, they will tend to think it's a commitment. You know, this is the standard and it's going to be like this on all of the production. Right. <laughs> and then... If they're wise, they send an inspector. Inspector says, oh, well, you know, this whatever, 20% of bad products or, or even just, you know, 5% of bad products, which actually on consumer products, 
general consumer products, first time you work with a new supplier is actually quite common in China <laughs> right? or of Vietnam or India. And then you say, well, wait a minute, you know, how come it's different? Or maybe, I don't know, maybe there's, there's a plastic injection mold and well, then you say, hey, but on the sample, I didn't have a parting line here and like the, the injection, injection gate here and, and this and that, you know, it really looks different now. And the supplier says, but come on, it's pretty obvious. It was before tooling, you know, uh, you yeah. know, things are different after tooling. And the new buyer who was discovering all this said, well, you should have told me, <laughs> right? And in their minds, every one of them is right. Actually, every one of them is wrong. Both of them should have planned for that and and, and mentioned it, right? So pre-production samples, you know, whatever final prototype before production, Chinese suppliers use them to sell the project to you. They're not using them as much to set a, a standard. You know, sorry about that. That's not the way it works. This is to sell, to get the PO, to get the, the, the first payment, to get moving in direction of mass production and payment of mass production. That's it. You have to... Take that into account. You need to prepare a specification sheet, a checklist, whatever you call it. Very, very important. Okay. Now, when it comes to yeah, trusting the supplier, sometimes people have been burned by a Chinese supplier, let's say, and they, they're very, and then from that day on, they don't trust anybody and they really show it, right? And mm -hmm. that, if you do it in, in a very obvious manner is not going to help you. But I'm sure you see you see why, right? You keep sort of questioning their intentions, you know, in a very open way. And it's pretty obvious that you don't trust them over the top. That's going to be a problem. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, suppliers are just going to hate you, right? And they're not going to want to read your emails. They're going to wait until, you know, the last thing in the day. Oh, sorry. Oh, something else. Okay, I'll look at it tomorrow. They're not going to want to to uh, to work on your projects. They're not going to want to do a call with you. Well, guess what? It means they don't pay much attention to your orders at the end of the day. Uh, that That's really what I observed. It's yeah. really sad. But um, so don't don't trust. Too much and say, okay, okay, oh, you want payment in upfront is fine, I'll send the money, blah, blah. Okay, that is just dumb. But then if you go harsh on them and, and show them that you don't trust them, you're just an ass. You're not someone yeah. that they want to talk to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and that's also a problem. Uh, I've seen some people alienate uh, alienate their, their, their salesperson to the point where salesperson doesn't even want to respond to their emails, talk to them, and, and doesn't want to work on following up on what's going on. And it's just mm -hmm. very messy, right? So you're really mm -hmm. shooting yourself in the foot if you do that. Well, um, it, you know, would you behave in a different way with a Chinese supplier, let's say, as you would with somebody in your own country? Because you shouldn't. Yeah, no, anyway, you should not, obviously, right? right. But maybe in your own country, maybe... Uh, people are used to, you know, having a customer who keeps complaining or whatever. And mm. but, but in China, it's like, you know, oh, okay, 
they hate me, so I hate them, and like that's it. You know, they, they really don't want to do anything with you. It, yeah. it, different cultures, right? In in different countries, it might be a, a little bit different. But of course, mm. I wouldn't say it's always a nice thing, right? Uh, <laughs> maybe maybe in the U.S. where they have you know they sue each other, <laughs> you know New York people. Let's say <laughs> they're like, oh, okay, well you do that. I'm say, okay. Uh, you know, we'll see you in court or whatever, but okay, let's keep mm. doing business uh, on that other thing. It's really weird. It's kind of a way of life sometimes for some of these people, um, <laughs> right? Different different countries, and I'm exaggerating, obviously. Yeah. Um, different cultures, dif- different approaches to business, mm-hmm. right? Okay, so another one is about planning uh, the, the schedule. And mm. first time you work with a supplier, you have to plan for delays. You have to plan for things that don't go according to schedule. Uh, they might receive some of the material. Just if they receive just one component late, the whole project is late, right? Yeah. Uh, and then they might find some some quality issues or whatever. Maybe they don't tell you, but they try to fix it a little bit and so on. You know, spend a few more days, and then maybe you find some some issues and then need some time to rework. And then all of a sudden, everything is four or five weeks late. <laughs> so, ouch, you know. Or maybe they, they're waiting for, for an approval from you. And they're waiting and waiting and they don't get it. And um, and it pushes things two or three weeks late. Because maybe on your side, you're waiting for an approval from your customer. But hey, if you don't give that kind of approval to your supplier, you know, the, the, everything is, is frozen. You're wasting you are postponing the the project. I see some some people don't really get that. They're like, no, no, no. You said forty five days from PO. That are, yeah, but we're waiting for your approval on this. Well, whatever. You should have told me it would be late. Mm-hmm. Come on, you know, again and again, right? Uh, assumptions, assumptions are going to kill you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, not everything gets communicated properly. So you 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 should ask questions, not assume. Right, so that that's something mm. you need to include at least, let's say, two or three weeks. Uh, the first time, first time you make a product in a certain factory, yeah, at least two or three weeks. Yeah, uh, and then if you push them to rush, hey, no, no, it really has to ship on that day. Like, no, you know, it's got to be that vessel. You got to make that shipping time, right? Then they might have to rush. They might have to maybe even put an all nighter for you, right? And then you receive it and you're not happy about quality. Well, guess what? You give them an excuse. Well, yeah, but you told the, you, you know, you, you pushed us to, to rush. And of course we rushed and like people were tired or whatever. Right? We didn't have time to inspect. You, you know, if you push them on one thing and don't mention that, that you know, quality is got to be the same, you know, as, as per standard and so on and so forth. They're just going to focus on that one thing. And they will be very good at focusing on that one thing. The Chinese suppliers can be really, really fast. <laughs> mm. But they're not going to be great on you know quality-wise. And, and they might tell you that there's some cost overruns or next time it's more expensive. or These kinds of things are very, very common. Yeah. Uh, let me see. What's the next one? Well being left in the dark regarding your own supply chain. And that's something we covered a number of times on this podcast. Mm-hmm. You work with a quote-unquote agent 
or a company that that says, oh yeah, we are a factory, we are a manufacturer, don't worry, we know all that, we can take care of it, blah, blah, blah. And these people, they act as your supplier <laughs> and they are not transparent and you mm. don't know where that critical part comes from and that other critical part of material comes from. And then when issues come up and you want to know what's going on, what they're doing to fix it, Maybe you've come to China, you want to go and have a look at that component supplier to see what's going on. Uh-uh, sorry, cannot go. Ouch. Um, you, even if you, maybe you have a great engineer on your team who knows exactly that process. No, sorry, cannot go. <laughs> mm. Right? If the supplier messes things up and everything, you haven't learned anything about the process, about what's important, what's not important. You have to start from scratch looking for another supplier. And of course, it's their purpose, right? They make it hard to switch to another supplier. But this is really not your interest. So um, anyway, we, we covered that a number of times in, in past episodes. It's really important. Yes. Um, oh. uh, yeah, transparency and, and control, right? Another one is... And we go back to, to quality and like the quality standard. Something is really important about your product. But you don't describe it clearly. You don't document it, right? Mm. What's going to happen is the supplier doesn't know and is not going to pay attention to it, not going to care, right? So in China, like there's a rule. If it's not written, it doesn't exist, okay? Mm. But... This is true, you know, you work in India and you don't tell them that, um, I don't know, the, 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 you know, the, the, the metal, the, the finishing has to be like this, you know, the die cast, you know, it cannot be more porous than this much or, um, you know, that it's very, very important that the anodizing is this shade of blue, mm. uh, like with very little variation, blah, 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 you know, or, or that kind of, uh, you know, the, the plastic part has to be that softness and has, you know, okay. And the, the front of it is the aesthetics. Uh, we don't want any uh, melting line or anything. <laughs> okay. If you mm. don't say it, um, you, you, it's like going to Las Vegas and, uh, and betting everything on red, right? It's really uh, very risky. And I see some people, for example, Okay, they approve samples about the product and everything, and they don't think about packaging. And then the supplier says, Oh, by the way, for packaging, like we do as usual for the other customers, right? And the new the, the buyer who's new to the job says, uh, yeah, right, that sounds great. Sure, you you know better than me. <laughs> mm. Ouch. Supplier's gonna pick the cheapest stuff, right? Not gonna put like even maybe one in a polybag, not they're gonna do like a master polybag, 50 products inside in a huge, big carton, uh, you know, and, and ship it all over to you and who cares, right? Uh, very dangerous. Packaging is very important to protect the products. Mm. Um, and, and yeah, and you might have to repack it properly to send it to stores or things like that, right? Uh, and, and what does that do to your costs, right? It, it's crazy. Yeah, in my experience when dealing with 
you know, different uh, suppliers or people that you're outsourcing to in Asia, it's just always better to be ultra clear and make sure everything is is totally clarified from the beginning. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Got to be as specific as possible. You cannot be too specific. (laughs) Let's say it this way. But of course, if it's very, very specific, so you got to get on a call with them and go over it to make sure they understand. Uh, maybe you get to, to get it translated in into the local language so that it's not yep. the, just the salesperson, but you know, the technical people, the, the, the purchasing people and so on, who actually will be able to read it and understand it. Okay. Yeah. So that's um, super important. The next one is... As I said, you start to work with a new supplier, you know, new product, new factory, okay, the first order. Well, if you haven't done a great job actually qualifying their production process, giving them very early feedback, maybe on the pilot run, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Well, there's a certain probability that the first run is not going to be very good, first batch. It's going to be, you know, in some cases, half of the products are bad or or 20% of the products are bad. Okay. You're not happy and then you push them maybe to rework if you catch it or even worse, you receive it in your your country. Very painful. Okay. Mm -hmm. So question is what to do for next time. So the supplier usually um, (laughs) either they are too conservative and they will say well you know that's really not so good this product is not good uh like we don't really want to do that again you know or most of the time especially chinese suppliers they will try to say hey okay yeah like sorry about that uh you know but you were not so clear about this and not so clear about that so yeah, yeah, we can give you like a 10 percent discount on the second order you know to cover some of that but they will never mm. send you money back. Like that usually doesn't happen. So a lot of buyers say, okay, okay, the second one, okay, you know what to avoid this time, right? And it's costing you, so you will pay attention, right? Okay, let's do second yeah. order. Enormous mistake. <laughs> Enormous mistake. It's going to be worse the second time. Mm. Yeah, that's surprising, but most of the time... It gets worse. Okay. In some cases, no. In some cases, they understand they made a mistake. Okay. And it, 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 the patient's just second time and it's okay. But in many, many cases, that's not true. The, the manufacturing process is still bad. They haven't given the feedback to their own supplier. Maybe it's their own supplier made a really bad job, right? And the manufacturing process of that supplier is not fixed, right? And and you give them another order and you allow them to go into mass production again, you know, without properly qualifying things. Mm-hmm. And bang, you know, same result or even worse. No, you should say, oh, hey, I would only go ahead with this new order if you do a proper pre-production pilot run and we qualify that things are okay. If it's not okay, you're going to fix it and do a new small run of 50 pieces, 100 pieces, you know, 
on the mm. assembly lines on everything like mass like mass production and we'll have someone there to to check it up that's the safe way to to go at it right and and of course with a corrective action plan to actually understand what what caused the the mess up but new yep. buyers who have no clue <laughs> Usually they don't want to go into the details of what went wrong. They don't want to mm. to go into a corrective action plan. They don't even think about it usually. And if the, if the supplier writes something, they have no clue. They don't know how to actually confirm. Yeah, they've touched on a root cause. And yes, the countermeasure makes sense, right? Um, anyway, big mistake. And if mm. if they give you a ten percent, twenty percent discount. On the second one, what what do you think? They, you know, now they are under pressure to get cheaper, <laughs> you know, yeah. to do something substandard. You're actually shooting yourself in the foot. It's really bad. Mm-hmm. So that's <laughs> that's a huge pitfall that so many companies fall mm-hmm. into. And the second one, you know, maybe is bad, and then they go again. They go ahead with the third one again. You know, of it's crazy. Um, sometimes yeah. they, um, anyway, they, 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 uh, they have to deliver something to their customers. So they have no time to think and they're like, oh, okay, then we need to go into the next order very fast and you need to get it right this time. Uh, okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> very bad. Mm. Okay. You, you mentioned uh, pilot runs there quite timely because actually I'm talking to Andrew about pilot runs next week for all the mm. listeners. So just bear that in mind. <laughs> Yeah, important topic. Yes, mm. <laughs> and then yeah, the last one I uh, covered in that article, and it's it's still yeah, an important topic, is about the intellectual property rights, yeah. um, and a relatively simple measure and relatively inexpensive. Of course, I guess you have your, if you have your own brand name. You register the trademark in your country. Okay, great. What about China? So people say, well, I don't want to sell into China, right? But then if you don't register your trademark in China, somebody else can because anybody who goes and file it the first time will get the trademark. Now, if you are a Coca-Cola or Nike, you can challenge that in a Chinese court. But if your brand is not really known in China, then there's very little you can do. Okay, so you register your trademark in China. So as I said, it will prevent another company from doing that. Uh, Why is that important? Because if you work with supplier A and then the relationship kind of turns sour and then you go to, to supplier B, supplier A can bother you quite a bit. Maybe they or, you know, in the name of their cousin somewhere, uh, someone from their extended family or friend or whatever, you know, in their personal name, they will they will register the trademark. There's no way for you mm. to prove that it's your supplier that did that. So you can really sue them for that. But then they can use the trademark reg- registration to actually request that supplier B stops production because it's illegal in China, right? Because another company has the trademark and they have that brand name corresponding to the trademark. And they can uh, give the information to the Chinese customs. And if the Chinese customs check the shipment, they will actually 
uh, block it because <laughs> they'll mm. say hey, you you use the brand here but you, you know it's another company that has the trademark and they registered it with with us so this is not legal right so that that's one way of saying it and then another another way of of looking at it is if your supplier goes rogue and makes the product behind your back or something you can use the fact that you own the trademark in china to put pressure on them and stop them okay mm. so uh, powerful um or powerful approach here uh, yeah and and cost wise registering a trademark in china it's nothing like registering patents so it's definitely right. something to consider even if you're you know a smaller business right right, right. yeah right so that's um yeah 10 common mistakes yeah. by, by new buyers in uh i had china in mind at the time but mm-hmm. a lot of these well anyway in vietnam there's a lot of chinese suppliers right that yes yeah yeah it's vietnam manufacturing but it's chinese suppliers so it's a lot of the same behaviors mm-hmm. uh and anyway when it comes to not documenting the standard properly and things like that it's going to hurt you anywhere anyway where you um you arrange for oem odm or contract manufacturing yeah um it is it's going to hurt you anyway so mm-hmm. yeah this is good advice i think yeah, good tips. So that's basically what not to do. <laughs> a big old list of uh, right. what you don't want to be uh, falling into the trap of doing. So it's a good one. So uh, let's wrap it up this time, Renault. But thanks for coming on and thanks everybody for listening. Thanks a lot. Thanks again for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Sophie's Group. We're on a mission to provide you with everything you need to manufacture effectively in Asia, including inspections, auditing, new product development support, contract manufacturing, 3PL warehousing and fulfillment, and much, much more across Asia's key manufacturing areas. Visit us at sofeast.com, that's S-O-F-E-A-S-T dot com, to learn more and get help. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do rate, review and share, because it will really help others discover us too.